The Apostle Peter plays a prominent role in Christianity. One of the ways that the book of Acts, which talks about the beginning of the Christian church and Christianity, but one of the ways that the book of Acts can be outlined is according to two prominent individuals. Acts chapter 1 through 12 focuses in on the Apostle Peter. And Acts 13 through the end of the book, chapter 28, focuses in on the Apostle Paul. So we know that Peter is significant. The Apostle Peter also plays a significant role uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We believe that the source for what Mark wrote was none other than what he got from the Apostle Peter. And when you look at all 16 chapters of this book, Peter pretty much is prominent. It begins in chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, when Jesus calls Peter and his brother Andrew. At that time, Peter's called Simon, but he calls these two men to be followers of him. They left their occupation of fishing, and they became followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the first miracles that is done in the Gospel of Mark is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. She was healed of a fever. And once she was healed, immediately she began to serve Jesus and the other disciples. When you continue on, when the Lord calls, calls 12 men to be with him, men who he's going to send out to preach and represent him, men that he appoints to be apostles, the first person that is named is Peter. When Jesus raised the 12-year-old daughter of a centurion from the dead, not everybody got to see that, but Peter, James, and John, and the parents of that daughter were there. Peter was the one. When Jesus was asking, who do men say that I am? Peter responded by saying, you are the Christ. And that is a significant uh, profession that comes out of the mouth of Peter. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. And it was Peter who made that declaration. And even a little bit later in chapter 9, when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John onto the mountain, And the transfiguration takes place. Who is it that gets to see the glory and the majesty of Jesus that will be true one day in the future? It's Peter. Peter is prominent in this gospel. Jesus is on his death march to Jerusalem. He's accompanied by Peter and the other disciples. Jesus had told them that he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be killed. He's going to rise from the dead. But Peter was right there when Jesus said that in in Mark 8 and 9 and 10. As the story of this gospel ends, so to speak, Jesus tells his disciples that one of them will betray him. One of them will hand him over 
to the religious leaders. And we saw that that betrayer was none other than Judas Iscariot. But Peter heard that prediction. He saw it fulfilled. And when they tried to arrest Jesus, he pulled out his sword and sought to cut off the head of the high priest's servant, but instead missed and just got his ear. But Peter was there trying to defend the Lord. When Jesus predicted that all of his disciples would desert him, Peter said, that would never happen. I won't do it. But that prediction came true. When they arrested Jesus, the disciples fled and ran away. And Jesus made another prediction. He told Peter directly, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, I, I, I will die before that ever will happen. Well, we come to the text today that deals with that prediction that Jesus made. We find out that what he predicted actually came true. That Peter did deny the Lord three times. And that's why we've labeled this message three times a denier. It's really a sad story. It's a tragic story. Because it's clear throughout the Gospel of Mark that Peter loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we can laugh at him. We can mock him and talk about the fact that he puts his foot in his mouth. He speaks sometimes when he shouldn't. But don't ever get it wrong. Peter loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, he did not take the words of Jesus seriously when Jesus told him, Peter, you will deny me three times. And so when we come to this text, there's a sense of sadness. We're not rejoicing to see Peter fail. When it comes to the end of this passage, when he's weeping, it's almost as if we're weeping with him. So I want to take a few moments to look at these three denials of Peter. Please note in verses 66 through 68, the first denial of Peter. And it takes place as Peter was below in the courtyard. Uh, this is where he was located when the Jewish, uh, when the Jewish trial began. Uh, we saw that a couple weeks ago when they led Jesus to the high priest. And Jesus was tried before the high priest and the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin. The, the text says when they were leading Jesus to the high priest that Peter was there, not side by side with the Lord, but instead Peter was following from afar. And as Jesus is led into the presence of the high priest, into the palace, above where Peter is, down below we find Peter there. 
in the courtyard. And as, as he's there in the courtyard, he's sitting with some officials and he's warming himself at the fire. And as this is taking place, as Peter is sitting there warming himself at, at the fire, the trial of Jesus is going on at the same time. The way that Mark presents this, he wants us to know that both are happening. Our Lord is standing trial before religious leaders, before the Sanhedrin, and he is faithful, he is dependable, he is reliable, he is trustworthy, he stands by what he believes. But we're going to see that below in the courtyard is Peter, who's not reliable, who's not trustworthy, but instead gives in and denies our Lord. So the last time we see Peter is in verse 54. But as we come to our text, we learn that a maid, a servant girl, and really she's probably not a girl, she's a young woman. She's connected to being one of the servants of the high priest. So she came. Came where? To the courtyard where Peter was. And she sees him. But she doesn't just simply see him. The text said that she looked at him. That is, she stared at him. She fixed her eyes upon him, trying to make sure she saw what she saw. And she's looking at him, comes to the conclusion that this is one of Jesus' followers, and she doesn't want to speak rashly, so she stares at Peter. And having seen Peter, and having stared at Peter, she makes an accusation against Peter. She says to Peter, you too were with Jesus the Nazarene. Her words are very direct. She's not just speaking out into the air. She's saying, you, Peter, you too, because she believes there's another disciple there connected with Jesus, but she says, you were with literally the Nazarene Jesus. The New American Standard Bible says Jesus the Nazarene, but it's really the Nazarene. And it's probably used in a derogatory sense. Can any good thing come out of Compton, they say? Well, way before then, Nathaniel asked, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so Jews who lived in Judea kind of looked down upon Jews who lived up in Galilee. And so she's saying, you too were with that. Nazarene, Jesus. So she accuses Jesus of being with, accuses Peter of being with Jesus. And it's interesting that phrase, with Jesus, is the very exact phrase that Jesus uses when he calls the 12 apostles to follow him. He says, I'm calling you to be with me. 
I want you to be with me. And now this servant girl, this servant woman is challenging Peter and saying, you too were with Jesus. Her accusation is true. Her accusation uh, is honest. What she's challenging Peter about, that is the absolute truth. There is no ifs, ands, buts about it. Peter had been with Jesus. And I've kind of rehearsed a little of that in the introduction to this message. But you can read again through the whole Gospel of Mark. And who's with the Lord, his disciple, but particularly Peter. And so what she's challenging Peter on is truth. You were with Jesus. So the question is, how would Peter respond to the accusation? How's he going to respond to the charge? Mark summarizes by saying he denied it. He denied it. Been with the Lord some three to three and a half years. And this woman, servant woman, challenges him, accuses him. And says, you were with him. And he flat out denies it. He doesn't just simply deny it with words, but also with his walk. But notice how he denies it with words. Peter said, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. As the little kids would say, liar, liar, pants on fire. He's lying. Uh, to, to, to say that he had not been with Jesus is a big, fat lie. And, and Peter is kind of caught off guard, so he hasn't been able to think through his lie. You know how it is sometimes we know somebody's going to challenge us and we take some time to, time to prepare the lie, think through it. But, but Peter doesn't have an opportunity to do that. So he's kind of flustered. He's surprised. And all he can simply say is, I, I don't know what you're saying, and, and, and I don't understand what you're saying. But the bottom line, he was saying that I was not with the Nazarene, Jesus. But not only did Peter deny the accusation with words, but he also denied it by walking away. The text says that he went out onto the porch. Remember, he was in the courtyard, sitting, warming himself by the fire. And this maid, this servant woman, challenges him directly. And he said, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's like we're speaking different languages. But the bottom line is, I wasn't with him. Once Peter says that, he's thinking to himself, I need to get out of here. 
not completely run away, but get out of the courtyard. So he goes on to a porch or an entryway that's within the, the gates, but led to the palace, hoping to hide and to escape notice, hoping that no one else would try to say that he was with Jesus. In verses 69 through the first part of verse 70, we have the second denial of Peter. Despite Peter's attempt to not be conspicuous, it didn't work. He can run, but he cannot hide. So he's trying to avoid people. He's hoping that this matter won't come up again. But the denier, he can't escape the eyes of this servant. And so we see in verse number 69 that the maid are the female servant, the same one we read about in verse 66, saw him. The one who had seen him and stared at him and challenged him. And even though he's trying to get away, she sees him again. And this time, instead of speaking directly to Peter, she speaks to the bystanders. There are other individuals there in the courtyard. There's other individuals there in the entryway. They're all there because something unique is happening. Remember, at this time, Jesus is being tried before the high priest, Caiaphas. But at the same time, Peter is being tried. He's down, stairs, so to speak. He's outside. And this female servant doesn't speak directly to him, but instead speaks to the bystanders. And look at what she says. She says, this is one of them. She does not say that Peter was one with Jesus. That was the first challenge and accusation. Now she's saying that Peter is one of the followers of Jesus. He's not one with Jesus, but he's one of those who had committed to following Jesus. And that accusation, again, is true. You'd have to be an idiot when reading the Gospel of Mark and don't come to the conclusion that Peter was a follower, was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she, she says this to the bystanders and evidently Peter hears it and he responds. And he responds by saying, no words, at least Mark doesn't tell us what he says. Mark just simply summarizes and says, he was denying it. We, we don't learn of any words coming out of Peter's mouth. We just learn the reality that he was denying it. Denying what? He was denying that he was one of the followers of Jesus, that he was one of the disciples of Jesus. 
And the way that Mark phrases this, this denial is more intense, more serious than the first denial. This denial says that Peter is repeatedly and consistently and constantly denying that he was one of Jesus' followers. He's speaking of an ongoing action and probably saying it to the bystanders, saying it to the female slave, anybody who was challenging, he kept on saying, I'm not one of his followers. So there's a progression going on. First time he just denies it. But now he's repeatedly, over and over again, denying it. He was denying it. Peter, we don't know what he said. It's just that Mark tells us that even though we aren't to worry about the words that come out of his mouth, what we are to be concerned with was his repeated rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't with him, and now he's saying he's not a follower of Jesus. This is the second denial of Peter. But we come to the remaining verses of our text. We have the third denial of Peter. And as we look at Peter, he's on a downward spiral. He's getting worse and worse. He's not improving. Things are not getting better. Each denial is more serious than the previous one. And now we come to this third one, and we see that Peter pretty much hits rock bottom. The one who was to be a rock is now on shaky ground. He has fallen. He has collapsed. The time between the Second denial and the third denial, according to our, our text, is a little while. Luke is more particular. He says in Luke twenty two fifty nine that it was about an hour. So about an hour had passed between the second denial and the third denial. And the challenge this time doesn't come from a female servant, but it comes from one of the bystanders. One of those who are standing around where Peter is. They're probably in that porch area, that entry area. And they say to Peter, as a group, surely, absolutely, certainly, you are one of them. They're certain, there's no doubt in their mind that Peter is one of those individuals who follows Jesus. Truly, certainly, absolutely, without doubt, you are one of his followers. And the accusation is the same accusation that the female servant made. The second accusation she made, you are one of them. 
And now they come along. You are one of them. You are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why they're so certain is because of Peter's dialect. He says, you are a Galilean too. It's kind of like when you hear people talking, they're from Boston. I can't imitate it, but they talk different. And you don't say, oh, you're from South L.A. He said, no, you're from the East Coast somewhere. And so when they heard Peter talk, according to what Matthew says, he was recognized by his dialect, by his language. He had an accent, so to speak. And he says that, that they said, that's why we know you're, you're one of his followers. But Peter protests. Our text says he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man you are talking about. In response to the accusation, Peter began to curse. I didn't say he began to cuss. I didn't say he started using foul language. I didn't say he started using profanity. Because we hear that word today, curse, and that's what we think. We think Peter started cussing like a sailor. But he didn't do that at all. The idea of the word curse is that he placed himself under the, a curse to verify and testify to the fact that he was speaking the truth. He said, what I'm saying is the absolute truth. And, and, and I put myself under a curse, an anathema, to verify that what I'm saying is true. And not only did Peter curse, but Peter swore. And again, this is nothing with the kind of swearing that we're used to, but he took an oath. He was saying to these bystanders, to any who would listen, he was saying that I don't know this man who you're talking about. I'll take an oath. I'll put my hand on a stack of Bibles. I'm telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth and the complete truth. That's what Peter's saying here. He is trying to substantiate and verify the words that he's speaking. And he's saying 100% what I'm saying is gospel. What is he saying? I do not know this man you are talking about. He didn't know Jesus, he said. He, he wasn't with him. He wasn't one of his followers. And now he's claiming not to know Jesus. And he says, if I'm not telling you the truth, may a curse come upon me. With all of my, quote, integrity, 
I'm telling you the absolute truth. I'm willing to take an oath. I'm willing to put my hand on a stack of Bibles. He says, I do not know this man. This man that you are talking about. This man that you're referring to as Jesus, the Nazarene. I don't know how he could get those words out. And again, it's not the first denial, it's not the second denial, but it's the third one. And it shows how there's just a downward spiral taking place in the life of Peter during this trial. It's a trial for him too. Jesus is facing a different kind of trial. But as he's facing that trial, Peter is facing a trial also. Peter, are you with him? Peter, are you one of them? And Peter denies it, saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. He repeatedly denies it. And then he resorts to taking oaths and saying, I'm willing to be cursed. I'm willing to experience an anathema if I'm not telling you the truth. And when we come to verse 72, it informs us that immediately after Peter denied Jesus for the third time, immediately, right away, a rooster crowed a second time. And the rooster brought remembrance to Peter of the prediction of Jesus. Hearing that rooster crow a second time flooded the mind of Peter with the prediction that Jesus had made. And what was that prediction? Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter remembered that. As soon as the words came out of his mouth, saying, I don't know this man. I'm telling you the absolute truth. I don't know him. As soon as those words came out of his mouth, the rooster crowed a second time. And what Jesus had predicted was fulfilled in the life of Peter. So the crowing of the rooster brought remembrance to Peter, but it also brought remorse to him. Our passage ends with, and he, that is Peter, began to weep. He began to weep. The way that the New American Standard translates this is a little bit different from other translations. Some say that he broke down then he wept. Others say that when he thought thereupon, he wept. In the New American Standard Bible, it just simply says he began to weep. But when you look at the language, I think what is happening here is that Peter's mind grabbed hold of what he has just remembered. And when he thought about this prediction, 
And in light of him fulfilling that prediction, he began to cry repeatedly. He broke out in tears. And that's a good sign. How sad it is when we might deny the Lord and go on as if nothing has happened. We go on as if it's no big deal. We spent last night looking at pornography. When we come to the church today, no big deal. We spent last week gossiping. When we come to church and it's no big deal. We take the time and we argue and get mad with our mate and we go back at each other and we don't reconcile. But we come to church and it's no big deal. Peter was devastated. Peter was repentant, so to speak. And what makes this even more serious, that Mark doesn't mention it, but Luke does. Luke says in Luke chapter 22, verse 60 and 61, that right before Peter remembered the prediction, that somehow, some way, Jesus was now close by and he was able to look at Peter. And he made eye contact with Peter. So Peter not only remembered, but he saw his Lord looking at him. And that led him to break out in tears. The story of Peter's three denials is heartbreaking. And what makes it gut-wrenching What makes it gut-wrenching is that it could be you, could have been me. We know our human propensity to fail God, even as believers. But I want to suggest to you that this passage says something about the authenticity of the Bible. As I was preparing this message, I wrestled with why is it included in Scripture? Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. Peter's denials in each of the four Gospels. And that's an argument for the authenticity of the Bible. That the Bible was not written by mere human beings. But there's a divine authorship along with a human authorship. Man would not include this in the Bible. If you and I wrote this, I'm not going to include my denials. I'm not going to include my failures. But yet, God has included them. And it argues for the scriptures being God-breathed. And three times a denier should not be seen as a license to sin. I know we like this passage. We like to say, look how Peter ended up. 
Yeah, he denied the Lord three different times. But when it was all said and done, he was restored. And he was used greatly by the Lord. And it lets us know that our failures can be redeemed. That our failures can be used for God's glory and honor. And and we like to camp on that. Uh, We like that. But we should never, ever think that this is included in Scripture so that it might motivate us to sin, knowing that God will forgive us. Our attitude towards sin ought always to be that I want to kill sin in my life, that I want to get rid of sin in my life, that I'm not interested in just sinning and have a light view of sin. So don't get this story twisted. Don't get it wrong. It's not here so that you and I can go out and blow it week after week after week and think that God is going to use us for his glory and honor. That's not why this passage is here. This passage reminds us that all of us need a Savior. Peter needed a Savior. Peter needed someone like the Lord Jesus Christ who came into the world to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus is testifying to who he is before the high priest in the Sanhedrin and Peter is denying the Lord, it's a reminder that Peter is sinful You're sinful, I'm sinful, and we need a Savior. There's a reason why Jesus is on his death march to Jerusalem. There's a reason why that in just another day, or well, later on in the evening, he's going to be killed and crucified. It's because you and I are Peter. You and I need a Savior. And this this text ought to remind you of that. And lastly, when we think about this passage, this text lets us know that the Lord is the ultimate example of discipleship. Don't fix your eyes on human beings. Keep your eyes on them as long as they're following Christ. But when you come to this text, Peter's a failure. So don't follow in his footsteps. But don't forget there's another one who's successful. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He models for us how to follow God. How to walk with God. Our Lord Jesus Christ remains obedient to his heavenly father. He submits his will to his heavenly father. He he does what his heavenly father wants him to do. He does not shy away from it. He doesn't run away from it. He faces the phony trial. He's willing to go all the way to the cross and to die for your sins and my sins. But on the other hand, there's Peter. And Peter is a failure. Peter doesn't 
submit himself to God. He submits himself to his own desires. He's concerned about himself. He's willing to deny the Lord that he was with him, that he was one of his followers. He's willing to deny that in order to protect him. The Lord faithfully endures trials, but Peter miserably fails trials. So as we're in this portion of Mark, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example of one who submits to the will of God. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that when we open up this book that we call the Bible, that we're not opening up a human book, but a divine book. We're thankful that every word of Scripture is God-breathed and it comes forth from your mouth. We're even thankful for passages that reveal the sinfulness and depravity of human beings like Peter. It reminds us of our sinfulness. It reminds us that we need a Savior. It reminds us that there's a reason why the Lord Jesus Christ left heaven's glory and came into this world and lived a perfect life and ultimately died on Calvary's cross and was buried and was raised from the dead and ascended back to heaven. He did all of that in order that he might give his life as a ransom for us so that we can have salvation, so that we can put our faith and our trust in Christ alone, so that we can repent of our sins and believe in the gospel and have our sins forgiven and become followers of Jesus all the days of our life. Lord, use your word, this passage, in our lives to help us to see how wonderful a Savior we have and how wicked we are when we don't rely upon you. Help us, Lord, not to deny you ever in our life. Help us to to rely upon the Spirit of God and to trust him. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.